Welcome to the Cross Before the Crown podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Clark Moreland, and I'm leading a study of the practical theology of C.S. Lewis for the next 14 weeks at First Baptist Church in Midland, Texas. In these podcasts, I'll be sharing stories from Lewis's life as well as from my own, about 10 minutes or so each week, to help shed some light on the readings we're covering in our study and apply them to our lives. This week, we'll be reading the title piece from the book we're using for our study, which is justly one of the most famous pieces Lewis ever wrote. It's called The Weight of Glory. So recently, I watched The Darkest Hour, which portrays the leadership that Winston Churchill provided at the beginning of the Second World War. It's the first time I've seen the film, and well, even though I thought Gary Oldman deserved the Oscar he won for his portrayal of Churchill, I kind of thought the movie was overrated. But still... The movie's a good reminder of how grim the Battle of Britain was during 1940 and 41. Not a month before Lewis gave his sermon, The Weight of Glory, in June 1941 at the Church of St. Mary the Virgin in Oxford, a month before Nazi warplanes had dropped bombs on Parliament in London. Maybe you've seen the famous picture of Churchill standing over the ruins of the House of Commons. And though by June 1941, the the Blitz, as it was called, was nearing its end, thousands of civilians and soldiers alike had already died in the fight. And really, there was little hope of keeping Hitler and the Nazis at bay in the long run. Remember, this was still six months before Pearl Harbor, so America wasn't even in the war yet. So in the midst of these terrifying and uncertain times, Lewis gives a sermon that well, in the face of it, it's striking for how little it mentions the dark hours that Britain was experiencing at the time. But if you dig into Lewis's correspondence during this period, well, the war is not so absent there. For instance, in a letter he wrote to his childhood friend Arthur Greaves, just a couple of weeks before he delivered The Weight of Glory, Lewis writes that he had heard about a recent bombing that had occurred in his hometown of Belfast in Northern Ireland. And though none of his friends and family were hurt or injured by the attack, he was still shocked at the news. He wrote to Arthur, he said, It's like the end of the world to think of bombs near this idyllic neighborhood that he grew up in. But unlike in the previous war, when his friend Arthur was at home in Ireland and Lewis was off fighting in European trenches, Lewis was a soldier in World War I, he notes that this time in Oxford, which was spared any shelling from the Nazis, it was really, quote, nicer than ever at present. <laughs> For instance, he rejoices that his brother, Major Warren Lewis, who's a professional soldier, everybody called him Warney, he rejoices that Warney was far from the front lines. But that wasn't the only reason he said he was thankful. He said that folks around Oxford were friendlier, more good-natured, and, and kinder than ever before. Uh, he also mentions that food, which, you, as you may know, was rationed during the war in England, uh, made it difficult, uh, more difficult than usual to acquire meat and delicacies and things like that. Uh, he says that food was being rationed, but it kind of made folks more grateful for their meals. Of course, Lewis wasn't cheerful about everything regarding that time period. He, in that letter, bemoans the ubiquitous buzz of war news, which would come through the newspapers and on the radio. He says, I do wish people wouldn't turn on the radio. Once they've done so, you can't help but listening to the news. 
But why submit to this nerve-wracking more than once a day? Pretty good advice if you ask me about how to deal with the news. In fact, you may already be seeing, as I suspect you are, some of the similarities between Lewis's times and our own. And while we haven't had airplanes dropping bombs on our neighbors' houses, we have had to deal with empty grocery shelves and an omnipresent media that's constantly filling our ears with bad news, with fearful news. And of course, we've also had to deal, like Lewis did, with death, with hundreds of thousands of our friends and loved ones passing away. Even when we don't want to talk about the pandemic, it seems to find its way into our conversations and thoughts anyway, just like the war did for Lewis. And maybe that explains why in The Weight of Glory, which is a sermon ostensibly about heaven, desire, love, these bright, wonderful topics that this sermon is about. Even there, tokens of Britain's darkest hour seem to slip into Lewis's language. For instance, when he's talking about how Christians shouldn't be troubled by those who say that our hope for a better life to come is merely a mercenary affair, he uses as an example to prove that wrong that we wouldn't call a general who fights for victory rather than for money, we wouldn't call that person a mercenary since victory is the consummation of battle. It is the point of it. And when he famously says at the end of his sermon that following Christ is the essential point of the Christian life, he once again uses a military symbol. He says, a cleft has opened in the pitiless walls of this world, and we are invited to follow our great captain inside. Even his choice of the topic for the sermon may have come out of Lewis's musings about and experiences with the war. As uh, Justin Taylor noted in a Gospel Coalition or a post a couple of years ago in a blog post, uh, he said that the announced text for the sermon was from Revelation 2, which Lewis does briefly mention, a passing reference to the morning star. But the title of the sermon comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul writes, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. One can't help but think back to Lewis's cheerful attitude in his letter to his friend Arthur. Compared to what God has prepared for those who love for him, as the prophet Isaiah put it, their afflictions during the war were, in comparison, light and momentary. But, you know, lest we feel pride in our ability to withstand the battering of war and disease and social breakdown, Lewis actually begins the sermon with the reminder that while a lot of people then, and today I might add, think that unselfishness is the highest of all virtues, Christians actually believe that it's love. Love is the highest virtue. And the danger, Lewis points out, in praising sacrifice and unselfishness above love is that you can become conceited and think that our acts of individual sacrifice are the essential point. They're not. Here's how Lewis puts it. He says, quote, The negative idea of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion, not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves, as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. 
He, he says that while Jesus and the New Testament do say a lot about self-denial, it's not an end unto itself. Uh, put another way, Jesus doesn't ask us to carry a cross just for the sake of carrying a cross. Or maybe I can put it another way. You can be selfish in your unselfishness or in your selflessness. In our day, where once again, duty and sacrifice are promoted as the highest virtues, it's worth asking whether we are in danger of committing similar errors. For instance, when our decision to be vaccinated against the virus or wear a mask or socially distance during this pandemic, when those decisions are less about the health and well-being of others and are more about ourselves, or worse, more about virtue signaling and tribalism, well then, in those cases, we are not actually acting in Christian charity. Even though all of these mitigation efforts may be, and I think they are, good. But they're good when they are rooted and grounded in love for other people. You know, this weekend we celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and I can't help but think of his comments about the Good Samaritan in his final speech, I've Been to the Mountaintop. He said that in Jesus' parable, while the religious leaders are worried about what would happen to them if they stopped to help the injured man, the Good Samaritan flips the question on its head. He asked, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Well, Lewis likewise invites us in this sermon, and I think he invites us today, even in the midst of one of the darkest hours in our nation's history, to not be too easily pleased in being merely ascetic, in merely denying ourselves pleasures or conveniences. He says, don't just be interested in self-denial, go further up and further in and desire the best not only for ourselves, but also for our neighbors, even if that costs us convenience or our pride. The cross comes before the crown, Lewis famously says at the end of the sermon, and what do you know, that's the name of this podcast. The cross comes before the crown, and tomorrow is a Monday morning. This week, may your love for others be, in Lewis's words, real and costly, but let it also be paired with the fervent hope that these light and momentary afflictions will truly pale beyond all comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is in the life to come. Thanks for joining us today for the Cross Before the Crown podcast. Uh, this coming Wednesday in the study, we'll dive deeper into Lewis's incredible sermon and I'll share with those of you in attendance some stories about how influential it has been, including for some folks whose names you'll probably recognize throughout this world. And join us next weekend for the second installment of this podcast, where I'll talk about how important this sermon has been in my own life and in helping me learn how to be a dad of a son with special needs. In the meantime, may you boldly follow our great captain into the cleft which he has opened in the pitiless walls of the world. God bless you.